just to say on this day, the 13th of February, 1915, the great Fanny Cosby passed away in her 90s, and she wrote 8,000 hymns, perhaps a couple we've sung here before, and uh, through a botch operation when she was very small, she passed into blindness, she was blind from youth, basically, and every one of her 8,000 hymns, she never penned a single word until she had it all in her mind, all the verses were in her mind, amazing, eh? Anyway. I love church history. I love what the Lord has done and through his servants in the past. Well, just to say this morning, the theme is keys to kingdom living. Keys to kingdom living. Access codes to God's kingdom. By access codes or keys, I mean not so much getting in, but receiving insight, revelation, what it means to be citizens of God's kingdom. The great John Calvin said that the church is the principal theater of God's glory. And I like that, the local church, the church of Christ. The principal theater of God's glory. And it is the theater of God's glory for one sole reason, because it's the custodian of the kingdom. Because God's kingdom comes through the local church. And the church is a means to an end. It's not a means in itself. It's a means to an end. Because when Paul reached Rome for two whole years, boldly and without hindrance, he declared the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he was and what he has done for us. And so we're going to start reading from Matthew chapter 5. From Matthew chapter 5, and I just want to read the first two verses from the Message Bible. And it says this, when Jesus saw his ministry was drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. I like that. We are his climbing companions. Yes, Jesus had compassion on the crowds, but he always loved small groups. Small groups. Secret of church growth. And so let me read now from verse 3, Matthew 5, NIV. Blessed. Friends, I really can't get further than that word blessed this morning. We could spend 20, half an hour just on that word blessed. It's a huge word in the Bible. It's huge. And I'm going to be repeating it in my Amplified Version, but if you've got an Amplified Bible at home, please go home and read it, because it gives a very good amplification of what this word, blessed, means. Makareoi in Greek. Basically, it means happy, to be fruitful, successful, prosperous. Blessed. And also, this word, blessed, recognizes an existing state of happiness or good fortune. This word affirms the present reality of a spiritual state that we're in. It's not something that's going to happen in the past. Jesus is not saying, listen, you're going to be blessed. He says, you, my committed followers, are blessed. You have the richness of this blessing on you and with you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm going to add a word here just to emphasize the Greek. For only theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Only theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for only they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they only will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for only those, only they, will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they only will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they only will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs, only theirs, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your winsome good works and praise your Father in heaven. Now, these keys are not keys to living in a democratic republic like we are living in this country. But these keys are keys for living in a theocratic kingdom where the living God is the center of all things, where he reigns supreme and his word is law. That's the kingdom keys we're talking about. And we as its citizens have access to all that our king's grace and provision gives us and supplies us. Whereas in the first Adam, we lost paradise. We were banished from paradise. We were under the curse because we disobeyed the Lord. We lost the kingdom. We lost dominion. But thank God now in the last Adam, the original Adam, Jesus Christ, the true Adam, Paradise has been regained. The kingdom is ours. We are regaining our dominion in Christ. And so we want to praise him that he's given us keys in which we can learn daily to enjoy what it means to live under his rule, in his kingdom, and then use these keys, which are really faith keys, access keys to kingdom living. Now in verses 1 and 2, which you read from the Message Bible, you'll note there that first of all, Jesus went up onto a hillside which he himself had created and made, and so he brought his disciples around him. Then it says he sat down to teach them, and that's the position that a rabbi takes. If he's going to give an authoritative word to his followers, he sits down and teaches them. And then he opened his mouth and gave us these beautiful attitudes, which we call the Beatitudes. Character sketches of the person who is a citizen of the kingdom of God. Then we go forward to three and a half years to the book of Hebrews. We were reading chapter 1 that after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down, there it is again, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And it's from there, just as chapter 8 verse 1 says, he's serving us in the heavenly tabernacle, so There in chapter 1 of Hebrews, he's sitting down and he's still teaching his body, the church. He's still teaching the subjects of his kingdom. Right now, this very second, this very moment, 
The Lord Jesus Christ is sitting down and he's teaching through his Holy Spirit. He's teaching us through the Bible in the English language. What he wants us to know, what it means. Exactly what his first disciples needed to know is what he wants us to know. What it means to live with access keys to the kingdom of God. And so then from verse 3. As William Barclay says in his commentary, come triumphant shouts of bliss that nothing in all creation can remove. So here come ten life-giving keys for kingdom living. Ten keys that unlock God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness that we may reign in life by one man, Jesus Christ. So here, therefore, are ten foundational keys that will build your faith that will build your marriage, your career, your business, your ministry. These keys will sharpen your prayer life. These keys will open your ears to the voice of the shepherd. These keys are paramount to living the Christian life. These keys are keys to the vaults of God's grace. And remember, God's vaults don't have corners. They've got eternal dimensions. His grace is everlasting. His grace, his provision, his help, even his correction and discipline are there for us to access and to grow and to know him. You know, one thing that religion does, religion gives us something to do. All under the unbearable and heavy yoke of self-righteousness, all based on merit. Religion's based on merit. That's how the world operates. That's how the kingdom of Satan operates, on merit. It's your good deeds. It's your righteousness. It's what seems good in your eyes. That is the right thing to do. But the kingdom of God gives you authority to be, to be all that God has called you to be. Under the glorious yoke of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is easy and light, all based on mercy, not merit. Mercy, only on the merits of Jesus Christ, not on ours, on his mercy. And so now we come again to this word blessed. And I was going to quote every key to you, and I'll be just enlarging on this word blessed. And as we go along these keys, I'm going to be adding other words to it. So that by the time you go and have tea and coffee afterwards, you'll have a really good idea what it means to be blessed. How enriched you are as a servant and citizen of God's kingdom. So let's start then. First key. I can't promise you we'll get through all ten. I think it'll be a disservice if I rush over this passage. I want, to give, I want to put some depth into every key. That whether you have two, three, four, or five keys to go home with this morning, at least you'll have something for the week and for the future to use. Here's the number one key. The poor in spirit are in a glorious state of happiness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, are in a glorious state of happiness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the key. Acknowledge your need for God now and always. Acknowledge, be convinced of, be convicted that you need the Lord now, 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 and always. Not just when things are going well, because that's when you tend to not always sense your need of him. But acknowledge your need for God now and always. Now this being poor here is not opposed to being rich. This is being so, so poor that you are over your head in debt 
and there's nothing you can pay back your debt with. There's absolutely nothing. You are being in the deepest and darkest dungeon, and there's just no way out. This is how morally bankrupt we are. We need the Lord, for he alone can pay this debt we owe the Lord. This is the debt that we owe him, which we couldn't pay. But thank God he took mercy upon us, that he humbled himself and came into this world and offered up his life as a perfect sacrifice for the debt we couldn't pay, for the sins that we needed forgiven. And when we saw the rich provision that he has given us, that he's actually offering us the kingdom of God to people who don't deserve citizenship at all, he's given to us free by his grace. It's then, like the prodigal son, we came to ourselves. We realized that we were lost, undone, going to a lost eternity. It's then that we turned around and came to the Father. We repented of our sins, put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we became citizens of his kingdom. Our debt is paid for. It's gone. It cannot be seen. It's forgotten in God's mind. And we're citizens of his kingdom. Yes, we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, a dear, of his dear son. The kingdom of light. And so to be an effective citizen of God's kingdom, oh, I sure, I share this conviction with you, that because we need the Lord, we just need to acknowledge this so often in our lives every day, that we need him because we need to know what strength we need in order to say no to ungodliness, to say no to selfish ambitions, and to the deceitfulness of sin. We need our Savior for that who's promised to help us and to keep us strong. In an age that relegates God to the least needed person, we believers, we say no, we need him all the time. Yes, let the skeptics, let the agnostics, let the atheists, let the playboys, let the pop stars, let the talk show hosts of all our radio stations, let them say what they like. We, the church, say we need Jesus Christ now and always. And we'll live according to that need. Because he's promised to supply our need according to his riches in glory. Oh, we sense our deep poverty, don't we, without Christ. And yet we sense how enriched we are as members of his everlasting kingdom. I believe that this is the master key. You know, in a building you have a master key that opens all the locks. I believe this key is the master key to this whole Sermon on the Mount. Because unless you know your need for the Lord daily, how then can you really expect his comfort? How then can you really inherit the earth? How can you be satisfied? How can you receive mercy? How can you hope to see his face one day? But of course, all the keys are important, aren't they? C.S. Lewis said this, You may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent upon God. You may forget that at every moment you are totally dependent upon God. Well, there's the first key. Have you got it? Take it with you. I'll tell you something, you're going to need it today. You're going to need it tomorrow. This, these words are the words of the king. Matthew's gospel is all focused on the king. Right, second key. As it comes, second key. Those who mourn are in a glorious state of happiness, for they shall be comforted. Here's the key. Crisis and difficulties are never forever. Crisis and difficulties are never forever. 
Now, this is not really a text for funerals, though, of course, I've used it, and no doubt many of pastors have used it, and that's fine. But really, it's not really a text for funerals, for this is not being in grief, but it is being in a crisis or difficulty which are very stressful and painful. And friends, when you're in a crisis and when you're in this, those painful trials, it's just that time when you must not make serious decisions. Don't make decisions so quickly. Wait for the Lord. His comfort will come. His counsel will come. It will come in some way. You see, the crisis is the womb that gives birth to opportunity. Think about that. Crisis is the womb that gives birth to opportunity. Think about it. You will see opportunities for the Lord. He'll give you, he'll show you opportunities when you're in the crisis. Don't go and cry in the corner. Don't go into a spitty party. Don't say, oh, please, Lord, why it happened to me? Just keep your eyes open and look at the opportunities that outside the crisis you'll never see. Plan beyond your crisis. It's not going to last forever. Failure and defeat are not in our future. The kingdom of God is. Seasons of failure are the best times to sow for success. And those who mourn are in a glorious state of happiness, for they are going to be invigorated, comforted. They're going to receive iron in their blood and fiber in their muscle. They're going to be renewed with God's almighty strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they won't faint. Because they know crisis and difficulties are not forever. But the Lord is forever with us. And he'll strengthen us. By the way, Ecclesiastes is built on the Sermon on the Mount. If you really compare the two books, but I'm not going to go into that here. But Ecclesiastes 7 verse 4 says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the hearts of fools is in the house of pleasure. Think that one through. Hmm? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, great 10 verses to open that chapter, that 2 Corinthians, where the word comfort appears 10 times, and he's described there, he's our God as the God of all comfort, but Paul says to the Christians of his day, he says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant about the trials and the difficulties and pressure that we were under in the province of Asia. We were under such pressure and such a trial that we despaired even of life. He said we even felt a sentence of death in our hearts. We were sure we couldn't take it. Paul was and his companion was on the verge of giving up. But he said, these happen to us that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he goes on to say, who will deliver us and has delivered us. As the Christians prayed for them. And so these things are not forever, these difficulties and trials we go through. He could say to Timothy, his last words to Timothy. In 2 Timothy he said, the Lord has rescued me from the lion's mouth. And he will continue to rescue me and bring me safely into his eternal kingdom. To him be the praise and glory. And so fellow citizens in God's kingdom. Please the church must have a bigger vision of just the local church. We've got to think kingdom. Kingdom. Remember. Jesus promised us trials and difficulties. 
Because if we're going to stand for righteousness, we're going to stand for his kingdom, we're going to get knocked. And we're going to take our share of normal suffering as everyone does in this world. But remember, they don't last forever. There's an expiry date on every trial, on every difficulty. There's an expiry date. And Jesus is mighty to save. And so blessed are those who mourn, for they are in a sheer state of happiness because of comfort is on the way. And so say to yourself, I'm coming out of this thing I'm in. I'm not going to sit and have a pity party and feel sorry for myself. I'm coming out of this thing. Better, wiser. Right, we can say much more about that key. Very important key. Well, the third key. You're in a glorious state of happiness when you're meek. For you're going to inherit the earth. There's the key. Desire and demand personal discipline for yourself, not other people. Point the finger to yourself and say, I am going to demand and place self-discipline on myself. I need this key. I need this key. Emmett Fox, who wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, said this, verse 5 about the meek is amongst the six most important verses in the entire Bible. I'm not going to argue with that. You see, if you're not meek, if you're not humble, how can you know the Lord Jesus in your life? Because he's meek and humble. Otherwise, he's strong. To meek means to be strong, self-controlled. How are you going to tell people about the hope you've got unless you do so with meekness and kindness? See, the grace of meekness has to be imported into your life by overcoming our selfish ambitions and use those ambitions instead for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom's sake, to harness them that God may use them for his glory. A man said of a missionary, I have met many unselfish people, and then referring to the missionary, but with him, he's selfless, selfless. And that's what the beatitude is all about. It's about the selfless life, the Christ-filled life. A selfless person is meek, humble, but full of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, or 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, timidity, but a power of love and of self-discipline. Self-discipline. Maybe this is the key that you need to apply to your life, beginning right here. Maybe like me, you like to while your time away surfing the TV channels. All men are susceptible to that. Maybe we need to switch the TV off a bit more and open a book and start reading. Maybe you need to read to your children more. Maybe you need to read the Bible more, but more than any other book. Maybe you need to use it for your prayer time, your quiet time. Angus Buckland's got a good book on the quiet time there called The Booth. You should get it. It's very good. All I'm saying to you from this key is do something that brings discipline and self-control into your life because it won't enslave you, it'll enliven you. 
Personally, I'm doing German every day. 719 days. I saw it last night. 719 days without stop. I've been doing German lessons for half an hour a day. And I'm enjoying it. My vocabulary is growing. I'm, I'm, I can read it better. I can start to speak it better. That, that's my weak part because I'm not amongst German-speaking people. But it, it's just a discipline which has brought so much fulfillment in my life. And if something like German can bring fulfillment in my life, how much more the living word of God when I discipline myself in reading it and praying to him? <laughs> just look at the real estate you're going to inherit. Never mind the bungalow on the fourth beach in Clifton. You're going to inherit the whole earth. The whole earth. Because on this earth, Jesus Christ is going to set up his thousand year reign. And we're going to be part of his government, part of his kingdom. Hey, just think of it. Please never relegate Jesus Christ to a president. We're talking republics then. He's the king, he's the Lord. We're going to reign with him on this earth. The government will be upon his shoulders, Isaiah 9, verse 6. And isn't it amazing to think that after a thousand years of wonderful rule by Jesus Christ, Satan will be released for a while and people will go after him once again like Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Can you believe it? Well, I better stop here because I'm getting tempted about what's going to happen in the future. But we're going to inherit the earth. And so, desire personal discipline for yourself. And you will be in a superior and, and wonderful state of happiness. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said this. And I've, and I've got it all in my Bible. I don't know about you, but I write all sorts of things in the back of my Bible. And wherever I can find space, I'm writing things. And one of the things I wrote in my Bible about John Wesley's quotes I don't think I'll ever forget this one. He said, The body and the soul make a man, or a woman, obviously, but the body and the soul make a man. But the spirit and discipline make a Christian. The spirit and discipline make a Christian. That's why they're called Methodists, because they had method, they had discipline when it came to the things of God's kingdom. Well, time's up. Told you I wouldn't get very far. I'd rather give you some depths when it comes to these keys than just to run through them. And please, these keys are not to hang on a hook in your, in your room, in your house. They've got to be in your mind, in your heart. Have them written down in your Bible as you can apply them. Maybe there's room for one more. One more? I'm looking for my tea because that's just as important. Fellowship out there is also worship. All right, this will be, I'll, I'll, I'll just give you one more quick one. Fourth key. You're in a glorious state of happiness. Oh, yes, some more words for you. You are well-to-do. How's that for you? Christian, you are well-to-do. You are well-to-do. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you will be filled or you will be satisfied. Here's the key. Desire personal growth and never stop learning. Listen, like you, I'm in my 70s, and we get this crazy idea that I know it all. I've heard it all. I've been there. I've done it. Be careful. It's a trap. It's a trap. Never stop learning. 
Never stop learning. Knowledge and growth never come looking for you. They don't just fall out of the sky and onto your lap. You have to be persistently hungry. Like the spur adjective used to say, come hungry, you see? Come hungry to God's word. Always be thirsty to know more. Because the Lord has more light to spring from your Bible for your faith to grow and to become strong. So what I'm saying to you is this. Keep your sponge wet. Keep your sponge wet. A hard, crusty sponge is no good for anyone to use. If you're chasing your tail, if everything rolls around you, me and mine, well, you're going to become a very dry, crusty sponge. But when you chase the kingdom of God, when you seek his righteousness, then your life will be soaked up full of his satisfaction and knowledge. Keep soaking up the truths from your Bible. Learn something new every day. Go out and meet new people. There's your opportunity. Tea and coffee. Last time I had tea and coffee, I met someone new. I know it's a brother who works with Old Mutual. Maybe you're here? Are you here? All right. Not here. But still, it's nice to meet him. So make it your duty to do something new and meet new, a new person who you've never met or spoken to in the church. Go to new places. Climb new heights. No matter what your age is, push ahead towards the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Have sponges, lives, soaked through and through with the life of Jesus. Desire personal growth and never stop learning. You got that? There I'll have to stop. I've reached 40% of the way. But I believe that 40% is enough for you to go on. Because I know, like you, my concentration doesn't last, <laughs> last longer than sometimes 30 minutes at the most. Mind you, when it comes to God's word, I can listen to it all day. But you know what I'm trying to say. So again, don't leave these keys on the hook. I trust you've got them in your mind. You can go home and rewrite them out to do something. And maybe you'd like to see what the other keys are in your own way. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you that we are blessed beyond measure. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that even though we are poor in spirit, the kingdom of God is ours. And that we can acknowledge our need for you now as always. Lord, we pray that should we be going through difficulties and trials. Because, Lord, all of us are going through some trial. Either we're going into one, or we are in one, or we're coming out of one. Lord, all of us go through trials and are in one. Please, we wait on you. Thank you. It will not last forever. Comfort is coming. Grant us the ability to be disciplined, to do less of what wastes time and more that invests time for Jesus' sake. And we pray we may learn new things every day, that our sponges will be soaked up with truth which liberates us. Grant this to us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.